Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as the Father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as I bow before you, I thank you, Lord, for the word of God, and I thank you for another opportunity that you I've given that I might be able to preach your word. Lord, I realize that within myself I'm nothing. God, I pray for your power. I pray for your wisdom. I pray for physical strength, O oh God. And I pray you'll be honored in the service. Lord, speak to my heart and the hearts of each one. Prepare my heart and each one who listens today. And may you be glorified and pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Uh, I'm going to bring you a message on not getting what we deserve. Before I do that, I, I just wanted to point out uh, the word bless here is used several times in this particular psalm, in fact, seven times. It is used a total of 115 times in the Bible, 42 times in the Psalms, as we mentioned seven times in this particular psalm. And 72 times in the 38 other books of the Old Testament, only nine times in the New Testament. And so he said, Bless the Lord, and all, O oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. And this certainly is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise uh, to the Lord. And uh, David here is uh, writing from experience. You remember his terrible sin with. Uh, with Bathsheba as he committed the sin of adultery and committed the sin of murder to cover up uh, his, his adultery. You know, that's the way sin is. Uh, the Bible talks about they add sin to sin. And uh, you can't just commit one sin. Uh, you have to commit another sin to cover up that sin. And so uh, David committed a terrible sin against the Lord but, and the law of God, the law of Moses, which uh, was God's law, had been given to Moses, 
uh, had really spelled out the death penalty for this type of sin. Uh, not just the sin of adultery, but the sin of murder uh, was a death sentence. And yet, David did not die. Nathan come to him, and you know the story reveals his sin. And, uh, and David finally has to face his sin. He had faced it every day in his own conscience. Had it neatly covered up. But uh, now he has to face it publicly. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, the Lord has put away your sin. You'll not die. The child will die, but you will not die. And David did not get what he deserved. Mercy uh, is what we're talking about today in this psalm. And that's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting that we don't deserve. And uh, it takes both to save you. It takes mercy and grace. And thank God for mercy. I think it was Oliver Green who said he thanked God for something more than his salvation. And someone said, what could that possibly be? He said, all those years I lived for the devil. God had mercy upon me and did not give me what I deserved, did not let me die and go to hell, because that's exactly what I deserved. And so all of us could give thanks to God for that, couldn't we? Some of you lived uh, longer than I did. I was saved as a child. But thank God for His mercy. You know, some people, uh, they say, all I want is what's coming to me. Well, I, I, don't, think, I don't think anyone really wants that. If they consider... I don't want what's coming to me, do you? I don't want justice. I want mercy and grace. And that's what the Lord has given to us. Now, what is it that we really deserve anyway? Man said, I want what I deserve. I want what's coming to me. Uh, what do we deserve? Well, the Bible said that uh, uh, in Romans 3.23, a very familiar scripture, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, that's what we deserve. I don't want that, do you? Uh, I don't want what's coming to me. I don't want what I deserve. Because that would be death. Now that's not just death for the body, but that's death for the soul. And, and uh, to be separated from God forever. In Luke 16, 23, uh, the rich man died and was buried. That's death for the body. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. That's death for the soul. And he was already spiritually dead. He was already a, a sinner and cut off from God. And so uh, he... Uh, death in the Bible, when he said the wages of sin is death, it means uh, total death, complete death. It does not mean annihilation. Death never, it never means that. Uh, but it means death for the body, but also death for the soul in hell. And uh, that's a, an awful thought. And of course, eternal death in the lake of fire in Revelation 20, 14 and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. He's talking about the body 
and the soul. Jesus said, don't fear those that can only destroy the body, but fear him who has power to cast soul and body into hell. And so uh, this is the, the penalty for sin. And this is what every man deserves. And uh, uh, that's what if we're saved that we do not get. You know, hell is an awesome thought, isn't it? It was Bob Jones that said what the average church needs is for the preacher to preach about six months on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night on the subject of hell to again awaken the consciousness of believers of the awfulness of hellfire. You know, we go about our business and uh, without, I think, a real comprehension of the awfulness of hell. Hell is a place of endless torment. The rich man said, I am tormented in this flame. And if I could lift the lid of hell today, you would still hear that same man crying out, I'm tormented in this flame. It's a place of endless torment. Not a moment's rest from the pain and suffering. You think you've suffered? You think you've seen people suffer and I've seen people suffer? I've seen people in so much pain that even the morphine would not kill the pain. The strongest drug they can really give as a painkiller. And uh, can you imagine being in pain forever with not, without any drugs, without any painkiller? The awfulness of the pain and torment of hell. It's a place of real fire a real flame. It's a place of thirst where there's no water. In fact, the first thing that the rich man cried out for is that he begged that Lazarus may be able to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue. For he said, I'm tormented in this flame. There is a literal hell, a literal fire. I think it was Time Magazine that did an interview of Billy Graham recently. And he questioned the reality of a literal hell. That shows you what compromise will do. And uh, I want to uh, say, though he may not be convinced there is a fire in hell, there is a literal fire in hell. Hell is real. Hell is no joke. It is literal. And uh, it's a place of thirst. It's a place of worms. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of falling. Uh, what's the sensation like when you, when you die and go to hell? I believe the thing that people, the sense they have, if you, most everybody in here probably has been awakened out of a dream. You dream that you're falling. You're falling off of a rock cliff or you're falling off of a building and it, it's, a, it's a terrifying feeling. And you wake up and you, uh, you're so relieved that it's, it's only a dream and it's not real. And uh, the Bible said hell is a bottomless pit. Hell is in the heart of this earth. The earth is continually spinning all the time. Continually going, spinning over a thousand miles an hour. So that means that those in hell are being tossed about in the fires of hell 
continually, never hitting bottom. The Bible talks about the sides of hell, but there's no bottom to it. And I believe the sensation that a person experiences if they die in their sin, it's just like they're falling. They start falling and they can't stop and it's no dream. Hell is terrible beyond comprehension. That's what we deserve, folks, tonight, today. We deserve that. But we don't get that because of grace and mercy. Now, why do we deserve this? In Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Why do we deserve it? We deserve it because we're sinners. And we have the seed of rebellion that's born in us. It's, born, it's, in, it's in every child that's ever born. Uh, we come into the world uh, crying out in rebellion. And uh, this is a problem throughout life. Sin is a terrible thing. You think of the sin of the Garden of Eden. It's commonly believed that the forbidden fruit was an apple. I don't think it was an apple but I don't think that's the important thing. God didn't see fit to tell us uh, exactly what it was. It was not the, uh, what kind of fruit it was. The sin was the rebellion against God's authority, as we preached last week. That's man's basic problem is self-worship. Man's basic problem is he wants to be God himself. He doesn't want the Lord to be Lord he wants to be his own Lord. He wants to be his own boss. And salvation is the surrender of that right. I give up my rights. And I allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. And so, sin is a terrible thing. How bad is it? How bad was the sin of the Garden of Eden? It was so bad that we still today live under the curse of that sin. Follow me one week as I go to the hospitals and the funeral homes and the nursing homes. And you see the sickly bodies and the broken bodies and uh, uh, all of the problems that sin has caused. And sin's a terrible thing. And yet we have a society today that laughs at sin. The Bible said fools make a mock at sin. Sin has wrecked all the havoc upon the human race. It's not a joke. Sin's a terrible thing. And we ought to view it in that light. In Romans 7, 13, he said that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know why God gave the law? That man might understand the awfulness of sin. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. That we take it seriously. Sin is the transgression of the law in 1 John 3 and verse 4. How bad is sin? It's so bad that it deserves, it deserves a judgment of hell fire forever. That's bad, isn't it? People say, well, why should I go to hell because of Adam's sin? You don't go to hell because of Adam's sin. Man goes to hell because he has made a choice to be a sinner himself. Now, we are born with a sin nature, but a little child, if a little child 
though they have the sin nature, if they die before they come to the age of understanding, the age of accountability, they'll go to heaven, even though they have Adam's, uh, Adam's sinful nature. So you don't go to hell because of what Adam did. You go to hell because you choose to remain in that condition. Man is a sinner by choice. And when a person comes to the age of responsibility and they make a choice to reject Christ and to leave God out of their life and to remain a sinner, then if they die in that condition, they'll go to hell. Why, does, why do people go to hell? You say, well, they go to hell because they reject Christ. Well, that's true to a point. But man goes to hell because he's a sinner. And he doesn't get his sins forgiven. I heard a tape by Dr. James Crumpton. And he was talking about this subject. He said, everybody says people go to hell because they, they reject Christ. He said, what about a man that's never heard about Christ? What happens to him? He hasn't rejected Christ. He don't know Christ. Will he go to hell? Romans 1 says he will. And I've been asked that question numerous times. What about a heathen man that's never seen a Bible, that's never heard the name of Jesus Christ? If he dies without being saved, what will happen to him? Will he go to heaven? The answer is no, he'll go to hell. You say that isn't fair. It is fair. Romans chapter 1 tells us why. Because he said the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. The Bible teaches in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself in creation. And if man will respond to the light that God gives him, God will give him more light. And I heard his brother Thomas or someone spoke recently to that subject. At the same time that that heathen is responding to the light that God has given, God is moving on someone's heart in this country or somewhere else to be a missionary and take him the gospel. And Romans 2 said that God's given man a conscience. There's a consciousness of right and wrong in every human being. A consciousness that there's a God. They may not know who God is, but they know there's a God of some kind. You know, you have to learn to be an atheist or an agnostic. You're not born that way. And so man, man goes to hell because he's a sinner. And he deserves hell. And he doesn't get his sins forgiven. And the only way to get your sins forgiven is through Christ. And I believe any man, I think it was Jack Hudson who said he didn't believe God sent any man to hell until he had said an eternal no to God in his heart. I don't believe there will be a human being who will stand before God and say, I would have been saved, but you wouldn't let me. I don't believe nobody will be able to do that. I believe everybody has opportunity. Some have more opportunity and therefore will have a greater judgment. But every man has opportunity. And I've often said, if I had to go to hell, I'd rather go to hell from anywhere than right here in McDowell County, North Carolina. Because people that go to hell from here will suffer greater than those that have not had as much light and as much opportunity. Luke chapter 12. Now, why do we not get what we deserve? We notice what we deserve is hell. We deserve hell because we're sinners. 
And we don't get what we deserve. Why? Psalm 103, verse 10, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Praise God. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Why? Because He dealt with someone else in our place. That's why. I can go to heaven, though I don't deserve heaven, because someone took my sin upon himself. God is a God of love and God is a God of justice and a God of grace and a God of mercy. How can you reconcile all of that together? How can God be just and deal with sin and still be a God of love and mercy and grace and offer eternal life to guilty sinners? There's only one way, by substitution. And that's what Christ did. That's what the gospel is all about. You know, people just need to get out of their mind that somehow or another the average individual has no, has no comprehension of redemption. They think, well, if I, you know, God's such a good God and God is a God of love and mercy, He won't put me in hell. God won't do that. Uh, you know, if I try and, and you know, make an effort, I think, I think I'll get in. And that is a total misconception. No understanding of, 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 of the very nature of God and the redemption of God. There's a lack of understanding of it. God will put you in hell. Yes, He will. Not because He wants to. Because He has no other choice. Either people accept the plan that God provided through His Son, or God has no choice but to throw Him into hell, and He will do it. The only way of salvation is through a substitute. In 1 Peter 2.24, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In Romans 5, 6, He said that, uh, uh, you know, He died for the ungodly. And in verse 8, God committeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't get what we deserve because God put our judgment on another. Now, what do we get if we don't get what we deserve? <laughs> what do we get? We get mercy. In verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Aren't you glad of that? Thank God he's slow to anger. <laughs> he's not like us sometimes. He's slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. David could write that. He knew what he deserved. He knew he ought to be dead. He knew he ought to be stoned. He knew that. And he says, God is plenteous in mercy. He had to be to put up with what he put up with him. Then in, in verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy. Uh, toward them that fear Him. 
and in verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Think of that. The mercy of God will never, will never run out. Eternal security <laughs> in the Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, people then, people will save then, they're saved forever just like they are now. The idea that those poor saints could lose their salvation is just plain heresy. It's from everlasting to everlasting, the mercy of God is eternal and it never runs dry. That means nowhere out in the future will God pour out his wrath upon me, change his mind and say, uh, my mercy has run out. The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. I'm glad of that. In the book of John, the Bible said, He that believeth on the Son is not condemned, and he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And verse 36, he said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Every lost person is under the wrath of God, according to the Bible. But in Lamentations 3.22, he said it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It's of the mercy of God that that wrath is not let loose upon the, the sinner. The wrath of God is the sinner is judged. The penalty has already been, already been uh, given forth. And uh, the wrath of God, the Bible said, is upon every sinner. But the mercy of God withholds the wrath. It's just like a man's been in the courtroom. He's been tried and judged and sentenced. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's still waiting to go to prison, you know. That's the mercy of the court. And that's, that's the condition of every lost person. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. So we get mercy, then we get grace. Psalm 103, verse 8, again said, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Not only is he, he merciful, but he's gracious. We're not just saved by mercy, we're saved by mercy and grace. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Do I deserve eternal life? No. Do I deserve heaven? No. Do I deserve a mansion? No. Do I deserve a reward? I don't deserve any of it. And yet grace has given it all to me. And that's what we get in Christ. In Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus said it's the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man, toward a bunch of sinners. That's what grace is. Without any mixture of works. In Romans eleven six, and if by grace it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. If it be of works, it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. He's simply saying you can't mix the two. 
You add works to it, you don't have grace anymore. You have works. It's not 99.9% grace and 0.1% works. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, plus your church membership, you'll go to hell. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, plus being baptized, you'll go to hell. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, plus giving your tithes, you'll go to hell. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, plus living a good life, you'll go to hell. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, plus reading your Bible and praying, you'll go to hell. If you're trusting Jesus Christ plus anything else, you'll go to hell. That's not grace. And you can't be saved except for grace. That's not grace. Grace is all grace. <laughs> the grace of God is trusting Jesus Christ and Him only. And there's one thing I know absolutely, for sure, positively, beyond any shadow of that, that the only hope I have of seeing the city of God, the only hope I have of heaven, absolutely, positively, the only hope I have of heaven is Jesus Christ. That, is, I'm trusting nothing else. I mean nothing else. Nothing except Him. To get me there. And that's, that's the only way to go, folks, is the grace of God. Then not only... Do we receive mercy and grace? I wanted to use an illustration here that I read and I've used before, I think, uh, about the little boy that was very poor. And the little boy looked at the milk and said, How far down am I supposed to drink? And the nurse didn't understand. said, What do you mean by... How far down may I drink? He said, well, there's five other children in their family. And we are so poor that mother says, now you drink down so far, and then the next child will drink down so far. Aren't you glad that the grace of God that you can drink the whole glass? Nurse said said, it's all yours. <laughs> you drink it all. And that's what grace does. It's something we don't deserve. And then we receive forgiveness. In verse 3, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us and You've heard it explained many times that uh, he didn't say the north and the south because you have a north pole and a south pole and you can head north and you can reach a certain point and after you reach that point, then you go a step beyond that and you're heading south. And you do the same with the south pole and you come around and after you reach that point, then you're heading north. So you have two points and you can measure the distance. But he said as far as the east is from the west, you start east, you travel about 25,000 miles all, all the way around the earth, and you get back, and you'll still be heading east. <laughs> how far? How far is east, this in the west? That's how far, he said, he's removed our transgressions. And he said, he forgiveth all thine iniquities. 
In 1 John, he said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. All sin. All of my sins are forgiven. The blood of Christ has paid for all of my sins. Now, some believe you get saved on the installment plan, you know. They believe you get, they believe when the moment you bow and ask the Lord's forgiveness, that's the Lord to save you. They believe that the Lord forgives you of all of your sin up to that point. And then from that point on, you've got to keep your sins confessed. And if you don't keep them all confessed, that's where, that's where they get in. That's, that's why people believe you can lose your salvation because they believe you, you're forgiven up to that point. Then after that, it's up to you. Aren't you glad to thank God it's not that way? If it's that way, you can't have assurance of your salvation. No way. You could ever be sure that you were saved. Do you keep your sins confessed? All of them? Let me, let me explain what sin, sin is a transgression of the law. We gave you that scripture in 1 John. Sin is a transgression of the law. The Bible said all unrighteousness is sin. The Bible said the thought of foolishness is sin. The Bible said, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, do you keep all that confessed? Probably not. People say, well, what if a man gets drunk, dies before he could ask God to forgive him? What will happen to him? I usually respond. I say, well, what if you had an evil thought and you died before you could ask God to forgive you of that? What happened to you? What's the difference? You know, when it comes right down to believe in salvation by grace, there's not as many people believe it really that say they do. The blood of Christ has forgiven me of all of my sin. All the past, all the present, and all the future are all paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. They're all, people say, well, how could he forgive you of your future sins when he paid for my sin? They were all future. <laughs> all of my sins are under the blood. All of them are washed away by the blood, I should say. They're taken away by the blood. Now, I don't have any desire to go get drunk. People say, well, you believe man be saved today, go get drunk tomorrow, and go to heaven. Well, if a man's saved today, it's highly unlikely he's going to be drunk tomorrow. If he gets drunk tomorrow, I doubt very seriously if he got saved. I don't, listen, I don't live for God because I'm afraid I'll go to hell if I don't. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Jesus Christ made that possible. But I don't live for God because I'm afraid I'm going to hell. I can't go to hell. I'm saved. <laughs> I can't go to hell. Why do I live for the Lord? Well, there's, that's a separate message altogether. I live for the Lord because of what He done for me, because He, he put His Holy Spirit inside of me. 
He put the desire to live for God. He gave me the ability to live right. I want to live right. I don't always succeed, but I want to. And he's going to reward me if I live for him. I want others to go to heaven. There are many reasons why I live for the Lord. But I'm not living for God because I go to hell if I don't. I'm not in church today because I'm going to hell if I don't come to church. I believe saved people ought to go to church. And people that don't have any desire to go to church probably didn't say. But he gives us forgiveness. What a blessed and glorious truth. He forgives all thine iniquities. That's what the Bible says. Not, you say, yes, strange preaching. Well, just Bible preaching. I heard a preacher last week, you know, he's talking about uh, people say, well, I never heard preaching like that. Or my preacher don't preach. He said, well, I'm preaching the part that you had not heard. <laughs> uh, forgiveness. There's forgiveness with the Lord. It's in the Bible. There's complete forgiveness of all sin forever. We have forgiveness. Now, we don't deserve that, do we? We don't deserve that. But God gives it to us. I want to give you a couple of verses in Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. Man, I like this. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And the, I think the answer is nobody. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. He asked the question, Lord, if, if thy, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Anybody? If God marked our sin, if God, if God required payment for our sin, who could stand? Who could stand up this morning and testify, I don't sin? I can stand up before God and man and say, there's no sin. I don't, I don't commit any sin. Anybody? Anybody can do that here this morning? I had a preacher tell me, he said he hadn't sinned 25 years. Then he kind of backed up. <laughs> said, I hadn't willfully sinned. <laughs> well, the fact is he had sinned, just like all of us. Aren't you glad there's forgiveness? Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who would stand? We'd all go to hell. But there is forgiveness. I was reading a testimony by Dr. John Rice. I didn't agree with Dr. Rice on everything. As I probably don't agree with any preacher on everything. I'm guessing, you know, they agree with me, and that's all right. But I did agree with him on some things. He said he had this uh, Catholic man write him a letter. He says, uh, commended him about some things and said, the only thing you need to do is, is get in the true church. He says, you could be such a great help if you just get in the true church. He wrote him back. He said, uh, 
went on to explain his forgiveness. God had forgiven him. He had absolute assurance of heaven. He had absolute assurance that his sins were forgiven and absolute assurance that he was going to heaven. He said, no Catholic has that. So the man uh, became angry about it and he went to his priest. He said, do you have the absolute assurance that your sins are forgiven that you're going to heaven? He said, no, I do not have that. And he said, in all likelihood, I will probably have to spend some time in purgatory. So he went to the bishop and he said, do you have the absolute assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven? He said, no. No Catholic can know that for sure. The church does not give that certainty. So he wrote some archbishops and asked them the same question. Do you have the absolute assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven? And he said not one of them could say yes. He went back to his priest. He said, why is it if the Bible teaches that Christ was one offering for sin forever. You give the scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is, that the offering of Christ was sufficient as one sacrifice for sins forever. He said if the Bible says that, why is it that we do not have the absolute certainty that our sins are forgiven and that we have heaven as our home? He said the priest, instead of answering him, slapped his face and walked off. The result of that, the man began to look at digging the scripture for himself and came to a true knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you that only, only the Lord Jesus Christ offers the assurance that your sins are forgiven and that you have heaven as your home. Isn't it wonderful? Thank God to be saved and to know positively, absolutely, if you died, you got a home in heaven. You know, I'm convinced if you've got that in your soul, you can face anything, any trial, any battle, anything in this life. You can face anything if you know that for sure. Your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Whatever comes your way, you can deal with it if you have that. Let's bow our heads.